Hello, listeners. It's Lawrence Coletti, executive producer of Legal Talk Network. I want to tell you about one of our more hilarious yet still very informative podcasts called Thinking Like a Lawyer. Twice a month, hosts Ellie Mastal and Joe Patrice from Above the Law dive into what it's like to see the world from a lawyer's perspective, meaning they jabber on about politics, current events, this, that, and the other, sometimes with the guest and sometimes not. But if you're looking for a filterless podcast, check it out. Thinking Like a Lawyer on our website at LegalTalkNetwork.com, in iTunes, or on your favorite podcast platform. And now, back to the show. Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues, and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory but practical information that you can use in your law practice right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 80th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is legal ethics and cybersecurity. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsors. We'd like to thank our sponsor, SiteLock, the global leader in website security solutions. Learn more at sitelock.com forward slash legal forward slash digital detectives. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, PINow.com. Need a private investigator you can trust? Visit PINow.com to learn more. We are delighted to welcome as today's guest our friend Jim McCauley. Jim is the ethics counsel for the Virginia State Bar, where he has been employed for 27 years. Mr. McCauley and his staff write ethics and UPL advisory opinions for the Standing Committee on Legal Ethics, investigate complaints alleging unauthorized practice of law, and provide informal advice over the telephone to members of the bar, bench, and general public on lawyer regulatory matters. Mr. McCauley teaches professional responsibility at the T.C. Williams School of Law in Richmond, Virginia, and served on the American Bar Association Standing Committee on Legal Ethics and Professionalism from 2008 to 2011. Thanks for being with us today, Jim. Yeah, thank you, John. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I double that thanks. Uh, and I'm going to open with a question that probably John and I can answer as, as well as you can, but we're going to let you do it. So what is the Virginia State Bar doing to educate lawyers on their ethical duties about information technology competence and cybersecurity? Well, well Sharon, what the bar is doing is putting you and John on the road. Uh, teaching CLE seminars. <laughs> that, That's one thing that we've been doing. That, that was my answer. I, I pointed yes. out a couple of point out a couple of things. The uh, we have a standing committee on the future of law practice, and they have added uh, an excellent uh, appendix. Uh, you know, which I'm sure you and John are responsible for writing because I sure didn't. But it's called uh, Cybersecurity Best Practices with a list of tips to help lawyers uh, secure their IT systems and, and protect client data. Uh, that final report is on the BAR's website. We also have a special committee on technology and the practice of law, which is setting up CLEs, writing articles in, in our uh, State Bar Journal called the Virginia Lawyer, posting resources on our website. We have also done a lot of solo and small firm CLEs over the past two years uh, since we amended Rule 1.6D of the Rules of Conduct to, to require lawyers to make reasonable efforts to secure client information from inadvertent or unauthorized disclosure or unauthorized access. We've also 
uh, pointed out a couple of uh, excellent sources, one of which is uh, one, of, one of your own, Lockdown, which is a publication by, by Sharon and uh, John and David Reese, who spoke at our Technology Tech Show, which is another uh, program sponsored by the State Bar in which we spent a lot of time uh, with uh, guest speakers, fantastic speakers on information security. So that's what we're doing, and it's an ongoing process, as you know. Well, well, Jim, has the time come for, for the VSB to issue an opinion that a lawyer's email communication must be encrypted, especially in light of the, the recent updated opinion from the ABA? Yes, the uh, the ABA has issued an opinion. It's uh, 477. Uh, it was issued on May 11th. Interestingly, today it was revised. Uh, again, I'm looking at it, trying to determine uh, exactly what the what the revisions were. Uh, it appears that they had uh, replaced this opinion with the one that was on their website uh, on May May 11th. But as far as substance is concerned, uh, the ABA opinion is saying that it's lawyers may use the Internet to communicate and transmit data as long as they've undertaken reasonable efforts to pre- prevent inadvertent or unauthorized access. It goes on further to say that the lawyer may be required to take special security precautions to protect against inadvertent or unauthorized disclosure when required by an agreement with the client or by law, and here's the important part, or when the nature of the information requires a higher degree of security. So it's not a blanket rule saying you must encrypt all attorney-client communications but where the nature of the information warrants a higher uh, degree of security, then additional measures have to be taken. The opinion does leave some flexibility in terms of what higher uh, degrees of security may be implemented and and not strictly or or solely encryption, which of course is what what everybody is talking about now. So uh, I don't... I, I think that the uh, that this is going to come before our ethics committee for sure, uh, and our committee is going to have to decide whether it wants to essentially rely on this opinion or expand on it further, uh, or issue issue an opinion uh, dealing specifically with uh, attorney-client communications uh, over the internet through the use of email and warn lawyers that. Uh, in certain circumstances where where the risk of harm to the client uh, is, is substantial, that using unencrypted email is not appropriate and would violate Rule 1.6D and the duty to exercise reasonable care. Well, that, that logically segues into what has the Supreme Court of Virginia said in the comments to, to that rule uh, that's important to help lawyers exercise the reasonable care to protect client data. Well, Sharon, uh, the uh, as you know, the the court added a comment 21 uh, to Rule 1.6 to make some concrete recommendations because ethics rules tend to be fairly abstract and, and theoretical in nature. But this comment uh, does give uh, six specific uh, suggestions as to how lawyers 
uh, might adopt policies and procedures that would demonstrate the exercise of reasonable care required by the rule. Uh, they're looking at uh, recommendations such as periodic staff security training and evaluation programs, including precautions and procedures uh, to secure data policies to address departing employees and their their future access to confidential firm data, their ability to download uh, data from the former employer's site, and, and the return of electronically stored confidential data that that employee might have used in the, in the course of their employment. Procedures addressing security measures for uh, off-site access of third parties to stored information, uh, which, which would also include uh, interaction with cloud service providers. Procedures for both backup and storage of firm data and steps to securely erase or wipe electronic data from computing devices before they are transferred, sold, or reused. Uh, the use of strong passwords and, and other authentication measures uh, for users when they log on their network and the security of password and authentication measures. And finally, the use of hardware and uh, software applications uh, to prevent, detect, and respond to malicious software and activity. So I, I, can, I can't overemphasize the importance of backup in light of uh, an article that I had read in the ABA journal about a Philadelphia firm that was opening up, uh, and a lawyer opened up an email attachment that appeared to be from a sender she recognized, but the memo was not expected, and, and it launched malware, malware into the system, and they promptly contacted their outsource IT provider, came in immediately. They shut down the network and wiped the drives clean, but they had a backup, and everything was accomplished quickly, and the uh, the threat was isolated and dealt with. That's very important, that, uh, that the lawyers have the capability of backing up their data and, and test their backups from time to time. Yeah, that's the amen to that. So, so Jim, does, does Rule 1.6 have a safe harbor for lawyers or law firms uh, that, that might get hacked? Yes, it, it states quite plainly, uh, John, that even though a, a law firm or a lawyer is subject to a cyber attack, the fact uh, that their uh, IT system has been compromised or, or attacked the, uh, doesn't mean that they've violated the rule if they have otherwise exercised reasonable care. Uh, the comments explained that even the most sophisticated IT systems have been hacked and that lawyers uh, can, can only be expected to exercise reasonable care. Reasonable care uh, is based upon uh, the fact that no system is bulletproof and, and perfect security is not attainable. Now, what's reasonable under the circumstances is going to be, depend upon the size of the firm, the nature of the practice, the sensitivity uh, of the data uh, that, that's uh, used, and how the um, lawyers uh, communicate with their clients, and uh, just a myriad of different factors. And uh, there is no one-size-fits-all formula for 
uh, reasonable care. But the safe harbor is simply that if the firm or lawyer has exercised reasonable care, they are not subject to discipline, even if they get hacked. Great. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. At least 80 of the 100 biggest law firms in the country have been hacked since 2011. Protect your firm and your clients from cyber attacks with SiteLock. Their industry-leading cloud-based suite of website security solutions includes website scanning, web application firewall, including distributed denial of service mitigation, and 24-7, 365 US-based customer support. Give your firm and your clients peace of mind knowing their information is secure. Learn more at sitelock.com forward slash legal forward slash digital detectives. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is legal ethics and cybersecurity. Our guest is Jim McCauley, our friend who is the ethics counsel for the Virginia State Bar. So, Jim, there are so many variations of Internet scams, but lawyers are certainly being targeted. How can they protect themselves when accepting an engagement by an overseas client using email? Well, there's uh, a number of different alerts that we've put up on the uh, the website that, that deal with this. Uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, if, if the law firm... Uh, uh, hasn't really dealt with uh, clients overseas. Uh, the fact of receiving an email solicitation from from an overseas uh, client would be extremely unusual and, and suspect, and would raise some red flags uh, for the lawyers and law firms that that do work internationally and receive potential clients and engagements uh, through email. The lawyers need to be careful in verifying uh, the potential client's identity. Uh, Also, uh, equally as important, the uh, adverse party's identity, a typical scenario being that the purported client wants to hire the firm to collect on a debt or obligation from a local business. Uh, They steal the identities uh, of these companies and and, and their officers and, and, and appear uh, facially uh, to be real people in real companies, but we have learned that uh, what happens is that the, that the lawyer accepts the engagement and quickly finds a fraudulent instrument, a cashier's check is delivered to them, they deposit it in the trust account, they get instructions right away from the purported client who's actually a cyber criminal asking them to wire most of the proceeds back to an overseas account. The result is it blows a big hole in the firm's trust account. Lawyers need to make sure that they 
If they receive any funds like that, that they have to wait until the check is cleared, not when the funds are said to be available by their bank. They should place those funds into a separate account and not place it in their general trust account so that other clients' funds will not be affected and, and, and wait it out because it can sometimes take two to three weeks for these instruments to clear the banking system only to find that the instrument is a fraudulent instrument. We've also put up another alert re recently, a general alert to lawyers about the uh, WannaCry uh, cyber attack in Europe and Asia, warning lawyers again uh, that if uh, that they should train their their staff and, and their attorneys to not open emails from people that they don't know, and not to open attachments from emails that appear to be from someone that they do know, but they're not expecting the email. Uh, because that appears to be one circumstance where they are vulnerable to launch, launching malware in, into their system. Well, Jim, do you think there's going to come a time at, at some point when, when lawyers might be disciplined for falling for one of these Internet scams? I think so. I, I, I think that, John, at least at some point there comes a point in time where, where there's been so many of these and the pattern of the scam is one uh, which we've seen time and time again. And there has been a lot of care and attention, at least by the Virginia State Bar, uh, to alert lawyers uh, to these types of scams. There was a recent disciplinary case uh, that arose out of one of these uh, bad check scams because the lawyer deposited the fake cashier's check in his trust account, and the, and the bank ended up freezing the lawyer's trust account, and then the lawyer could not draw from that account uh, to pay another client's funds and also to pay a filing fee, uh, which was necessary, and as a result of not being able to uh, to, to file the fee, they were running up against a, a deadline. Uh, they, they created a procedural default and a dismissal of the client's case. Although if I were the lawyer, I would have ponied up my own money to avoid that from happening. But uh, that, that's, that's another thing. There's an ethical, <laughs> ethical rule that prohibits lawyers from... Uh, advancing money money to clients, but since this was a fi uh, uh, this was a foul or, or litigation related expense, I would have come up with the dough. Uh, the lawyer was cited yeah, for I a lack. I would have ponied. <laughs> lack of. Diligence. I would have done the same thing. Pony up the money. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. What what is the Virginia State Bar's position on a lawyer's duty um, upon receiving an inadvertently sent file or document that appears to be a privileged communication uh, between an adversary and her lawyer? Is is it ethical for lawyers to mine for metadata when they receive electronic documents from an adversary? According to uh, our position is based upon uh, an earlier position uh, in Legal Ethics Opinion seventeen oh two which reflects an earlier ABA position that a lawyer should not use information that the lawyer recognizes is being privileged and not intended for them. And there are two two circumstances that that we deal with. Uh, the first is in, a, in the circumstance involving uh, a, a transactional or non-litigation situation in which a lawyer has received inadvertently information that is confidential 
they're they're required to notify the sender and abide by the sender's instructions, and they cannot use that information or, or read any further once they once they've discovered that it was inadvertently sent and that it was privileged. Metadata is is tricky though uh, because you can't always tell whether the information is privileged and and whether the sender intended or didn't intend uh, to include that metadata. As a result, uh, you know the state bars in the country are split, and some, with some saying that absolutely it's absolutely unethical for a lawyer to look at metadata uh, or go uh, using special apps to go mining for metadata, and other jurisdictions saying that no, it's not unethical. The duty is on is on the sender to scrub the metadata, and that it's not that hard to do. And if they haven't done so. Uh, then that burden shouldn't shift to, to the receiving attorney. Often this comes up, though, more in the context of litigation, and Virginia has a LEO as well as procedural rules, as, as do the federal rules of civil procedure, that, that, that deal with uh, inadvertently transmitted information, including metadata. The ABA's position on it reflected in Model Rule 42 for B is that the only duty a lawyer has if they look at or receive metadata or any other privileged information that was not intended for them is to notify the sender. Uh, in, in, in the federal civil procedure, under the, under the federal uh, civil rules, a procedure, uh, you've got clawback agreements and also uh, what they call Rule 502 orders where the parties reach an agreement in regard to what happens if information, confidential information is inadvertently produced during discovery with, with the result that the receiving party may be required under that order to return that information and not use it at trial. So uh, basically, where Virginia stands is that we we follow in uh, 1871 uh, that if, if a lawyer receives metadata uh, and finds it or receives confidential information inadvertently, then they have to notify the sender and quarantine uh, the information, preserve it until the judge rules on whether or not attorney-client privilege has been waived. Jim. Tell us, what must a lawyer do ethically if he or she gets hacked? Well, I, I think what, what a lawyer should do when they recognize that they've been hacked is immediately contact an IT professional. And that, that's been the response that most firms have, and, and that's what we tell them to do. Uh, that way they can implement the first step in determining, if possible, the identity, source, and extent of the attack, what data has been affected, and then they can decide whether or not they, they have to provide notice under breach notification laws or uh, provide notice to clients that uh, data uh, has been uh, compromised or, or destroyed or has fallen into the hands of the third party. Of course, most of this uh, should depend upon whether, whether the data was encrypted in the first place. Uh, for the most part, the breach notification requirements aren't in play if the data was encrypted. Uh, and this speaks volumes in favor of 
lawyers and law firms using full disk encryption and password-protected files for all their electronically stored information that's maintained on the firm system, including when the data is backed up and the backup should be routed to an off-site server or a cloud-based provider. So, Jim, if a lawyer's uh, computer network does get hacked, is there an ethical duty to notify clients? And do you think that the lawyers are actually following their ethical duties? Uh, Sharon, I think it's going to depend upon whether or not the lawyer can even discover the nature of the attack, what data has been affected, and whether the affected data was uh, encrypted. And if the data was not encrypted, this would also depend upon whether the the affected data can be restored. So if the lawyer can determine which client's information uh, has been compromised or affected and uh, that, that data cannot be restored, then, uh, you know, or, or if the lawyer reasonably believes that the information un- unencrypted has fallen into the hands of unauthorized parties, then absolutely there's a duty to notify the client. Uh, but the lawyer ha- has to do some investigation first before they can determine uh, whether there's a, a duty to notify. There's no, no reason to get uh, people panicked uh, when there has not been a determination that their, their data has been affected. Jim, can you talk briefly about the ethical considerations in using cloud computing services? And can lawyers ethically relinquish control of their clients' data to a cloud service provider? The short answer, John, is yes, they can, provided they've exercised reasonable care in the selection of the uh, cloud provider that they uh, intend to use for storing client data. Uh, uh, There is an ethics opinion uh, that helps uh, explain that. Uh, There are also resources like the uh, Legal Cloud Computing Association that has adopted standards for lawyers to, to use in selecting a cloud-based provider. And bottom line, in short and simple, is that if the lawyers exercise reasonable care in the selection of any third-party vendor, whether it's a bookkeeper, an IT person, uh, an auditor, uh, anytime lawyers entrust their information to a third party, they need to exercise reasonable care to ensure that that third party will also exercise appropriate security for, for the information that the lawyer has entrusted to them. Well, Jim, we sure want to thank you for being with us today. I remember the first time I met you, uh, someone else told me that you had an encyclopedic uh, knowledge of of ethical rules, and uh, I think they've got our listeners got a taste of that today. Um, So, thanks for sharing with us. It's an interesting topic, all this cybersecurity stuff, and of course, it's what we follow all the time. But it's wonderful to have somebody who's a specialist in ethics. So, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Sharon and John, for inviting me to your podcast. That does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. If you enjoy this podcast, please review us on iTunes. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, information technology, and cybersecurity services at SENSEIENT.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.